Well, one more time, we are back in for the month of August on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. As we come off a weekend that's on ESPN Top Rank Boxing Card in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a whole lot of heavyweight knockouts, and then a very competitive main event with no winner. We do not like no winner, no winner, no chicken dinner, but we are here nonetheless. I am merely the host, TJ Reeves. He is the guy that you want to hear for the insight, the analysis, the info. He is our content partner from Fight Freaks Unite and his Substack, as well as Big Fight Weekend. Dan Rayfield is back aboard left, like I said just a second ago, kind of unfulfilled by the fact that Pedraza Kome was a draw, my friend. Welcome in, in the recap mode. You know, thank you for that. I'll say this, though. Uh, I think that the fact that it was a draw was probably the most satisfying draw I've ever seen in boxing, where I didn't see anything on social media about outrage for the scores either way. Most people viewed it as a close fight, which it was. It was a very good fight. If you were watching, you were certainly entertained by it certainly uh you know the two two guys came uh, and fought good fights for the most part and the reality is as we discussed in the build-up to the fight it was one of those storylines going in which is they're both coming off losses uh they need a win to sort of keep themselves in position to maybe get into a bigger fight and do something the loser was going to be left for dead which is not fair but unfortunately the way that the industry works at times most of the time so the reality is having a draw it's like no harm no foul both guys fought a good fight and both guys will get to move on. And I don't think either one of them will have a hard time coming up with another uh, notable fight, given the effort and the entertainment value that they provided. So I don't think that the draw was a bad, I'm not upset by it. I actually, you know, we talked about it on our betting show on bet us uh, where, I mean, of course I did, I did pick Pedraza. I thought he won closely, but I said, you know, on a gambling show, you don't pick a draw. It's just, you don't do that. Right. But what did I say? I said, if there's ever going to be a draw, this is a fight where I could see a draw and it turned out to be a draw and it wasn't a nonsense draw. It was a fight where legit, you could have it six, five, either way, five, five. Yes. The one judge had it seven, three, but there were some close rounds. I had no problem with the draw whatsoever. Good fight. Both guys move on. So you've given us a lot on that. We'll get more into that fight here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, again, three heavyweights, F.A. Ajagba, Richard Torres, and Jared, real big baby Anderson, all one, all one with early knockouts. We'll get into all of that as well. Reminder, however you found us, social media link, Dan's Substack, and his email list that is ever growing at Fight Freaks Unite. Make sure you're following or subscribing. And Dan, we should say again, thank you to the audience here because I am seeing more podcast numbers for August with growth, growth, growth. We have added thousands and thousands of you that are listening. So keep it up, spread the word. Uh, rate us and review us as well. Uh, again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, just look for the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Fight Freaks Unite comes your way off the weekend. Now, it is going to get, just one quick note, it is going to get a little crazier because the kid here, I still like to call myself the kid, even though I'm now 50-something. Uh, the kid here uh, is working NFL football on Sundays, as Dan knows. In fact, I'm doing this show right now, coming off the Buccaneer preseason Saturday night game, working on the radio uh, for Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, and about two and a half hours sleep. So if I get punchy and I start calling you Gene Deckerhoff, who's the play-by-play -play voice <laughs> of the Bucks, just slap me that you're not Gene. But in any event, I'm saying to the audience, we'll do our best to get this out on Sunday night slash Monday morning as frequently as possible, but it could be a little problematic. Example, 
The Bucs' first game in two weeks is a Sunday night game with the Dallas Cowboys. That is the first Sunday of the NFL season. Somewhere there while I'm in Big D, I got to find my man, Rayfield, and we got to figure out how we'll we're doing out. the weekend recap that weekend. But fear not, audience. At some point, Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday midday, whatever, you will have a recap. And the easiest way to get it again is if you subscribe. If you follow or subscribe – on those podcast outlets, it comes automatically to you. As soon as we're done, as soon as it's available and up, you'll get a notification. You got it. So the housekeeping uh, is out of the way. And no, for the record here on this podcast as well, I don't have the firm answer on where Tom Brady was either. Everybody thinks I do. I don't know. He doesn't consult with me. Giselle does not consult with me. His wife, uh, they don't consult with me, Raphael. I'm just saying that here on the show. We'll all find out together if it's the mass Listen, singer. I'm a Giants know. fan. I'm a Giants fan. I couldn't care less where Tom I understand. Brady was. I understand. But he was gone. Now he's back. He played the other night. They booed him lustily in Indianapolis where they still hate him because he beat the Colts all the time. So anyway, we covered all of that. Before we get to the ESPN top rank uh, fight card in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was the primary card. There were some other cards, but no championship ones anywhere. That was the primary card. We'll get to that in a moment. couple of news items. Uh, you wrote on your Substack: Bantamweight undisputed. Undisputed is the theme in 2022. Bantamweight sure. undisputed fight is looming. Update the audience on the monster. Naoya Inoue of Japan, Paul Butler of England, and what you are hearing. What, what do we think here? What do we know? Well, in a way, of course, he has three of the world titles. He's the ring champion. He's one of the best pound-for-pound uh, -pound fighters in boxing. Has won titles in three weight classes. A probable future Hall of Famer. Just a absolutely spectacular fighter. But the one thing of his resume that he has lacked so far, like some guys have, he's never been undisputed. Doesn't mean he wasn't a great champion in the weight classes that he was in, but it's always a feather in your cap to get the other belt to make it a complete set. Uh, it's historical, and he is on the verge of uh, finalizing a deal for a fight that would take place December 13th in Japan against the WBO title holder Paul Butler from England, as you mentioned. Uh, it would uh, come to the United States via ESPN Plus in the early morning hours of December 13th, which is midweek. Uh, and there have been some reports that the fight was done and agreed to and good to go. My sources tell me who are involved say that's it's they're cutting close and it's probably going to happen, but it's not a done deal because uh, the main hangup has been they're still haggling with the money uh, on the Butler side of things. That uh, And what, what else is new? This is Butler's, uh, you know, his biggest payday he'll ever get. He hit the lottery by... Uh, being uh, named, moving up from the interim title holder to the full title holder when uh, John Real Casimero uh, canceled on him twice and failed to fulfill the, the mandate from the WBO to fight him or lose your title. Uh, so he gets the opportunity. So I don't blame him for going for every dollar because he's going to get wiped out in this fight. So my perspective on the fight is I'm happy that, that both guys get the opportunity to unify the division, but it's probably the least competitive of the undisputed fights that we've been seeing. In other words, this is not Charlo Castaño in my estimation. This is not say the possibility of Usyk versus Fury. This is not, you know, any of the other fights we've seen, even Cambosis Haney in terms of, I'm not saying I thought that, that George Cambosis was going to beat Devin Haney, but I sure, I certainly would have given uh, Cambosis a much better chance to beat Devin Haney than I do to see Paul Butler defeat Nyoya in a way. So, uh, you know, the good side is you get a chance for a great star of the sport and in a way to get an opportunity to be undisputed. Uh, Butler would have a chance for a great upset. Uh, the only negative part is I just don't see it as being a, all that competitive fight, but I'm happy to see it happen. There's not much else going on at Bantamweight right now, given, given uh, in a way's dominance and coming off of that big knockout he had recently against uh, Nonito Donaire in their rematch. So I say bring it on. They're looking to try to wrap it up for December 13th. And uh, that'd be just another significant fight to uh, close out the year.
You were mild in your assessment. He's going to destroy Paul Butler. What do I know? I mean, he's an explosive, big-time puncher. This is in Japan. We'll see. But, I mean, I mean, in a way, is definitely one of the legit pound-for-pound pound hardest punchers. And uh, it's going to be worth watching. Can he get to undisputed here? And more than likely, he will. So we know about and if he, that. And if he does it, then the question will be, what does he do after that? I mean, I'd like to see him go to 122. My dream fight would be him against Stephen Fulton, highly Ooh, unlikely for, for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe he stays at 118 and and then you know gives the uh, you know the, uh, the the taps on the shoulder and says, "Come fight me, and I'll give you with the opportunity to one of the top guys in the junior bantamweight division, be it a uh, Juan Francisco Estrada, uh, the win well the winner between Juan Francisco Estrada and." Uh, the third fight with Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, which is penciled in for the end of this year, uh, assuming that Estrada uh, gets through his fight that comes up. We'll preview that later in the week, but he has his fight coming up by this coming Saturday. So, you know, in a way, we'll be in a decent position, but uh, you got to get the undisputed fight out of the way first. All right. Speaking of the undisputed, we keep wondering about Fury and Usyk, and we should qualify this. I did not see this. You were watching the ESPN broadcast, and Mark Kriegel, who does a fine job kind of as their information guy, their historian of the sport, he made mention that uh, he's hearing it could be possible for the Middle East. It could be possible for February. He is in no way reporting that and saying it's firm. He's kind of engaging in some conjecture, I guess, is the best way to put well, it. What do you it, make of that? It's educated conjecture. He speaks to people like I do. He spoke, he, spoke, he said to Bob Arum, uh, the fact that it would be possible that it would be in the Middle East would not be in any way a surprise. That's where a lot of the money is for the fights at that level of finance. Um, and the time of the year is going to be dependent on if it's in the UK. Obviously, at, in the February, early 2000. A 23 time frame you cannot have it at Wembley Stadium because it's the middle of the winter in the UK so they need to have it indoors in the UK the only stadium that could accommodate it at that level is the uh the big stadium in Cardiff which is the uh it's got a dome on it it's you know so it's closed to the to the weather holds about 80,000 Anthony Joshua has fought there before um it's had other boxing events look I think everybody realizes that there's no other mega fight in the heavyweight division in terms of for titles that's the fight I mean Usyk said it in the ring after he beat Anthony Joshua if I'm not fighting Tyson Fury next, I'm not fighting Tyson Fury, who says he's retired about every other day. The one caveat he said is, you know, I'll, you know, come with, come to me with an offer, send it to my lawyer for this fight with Usyk. Uh, there's no sanctioning body uh, issues. There's no broadcast issues. There's no promotion issues. So by, by comparison to your average mega fight, I think relatively speaking, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's easy, but this is, the easiest to make based on uh, those factors and the quality working business relationship that the folks at top rank have who promote Tyson Fury have with the team of Alexander Usyk. As I have said before, uh, Bob Aram and uh, his manager, Egis Klimas have a longstanding uh, good business relationship. They have worked together on numerous fighters. Uh, they still work together on fighters such as Vesely Lomachenko, on uh, Janadek Alma Kanuli and, uh, and other uh, younger fighters. And so for them to be able to work this out, it's going to just be, you know, where can we get the biggest pot of gold to go and do this match? So I'm hopeful that it will happen in the early part of next year. You know, certainly by next spring, I would think at the latest, uh, both fighters want it. There's nothing standing in the way politically. It's all about how much money can we get somebody to put in that truck and back it up so they can dump it in our lap. And what's the split? Because Usyk obviously wants to get paid significantly too. So they will I mean, try to figure all that out. According to what Kriegel said, and I think this is accurate because I've heard similar things from people that would be involved in making the deal. It's a 50, 50 
deal. There's so much money there. How are you going to quibble? You got Usyk, who's got three of the belts and just beat Anthony Joshua twice. And you got Tyson Fury, who's got the other belt and is obviously a bigger name and a bigger star, but he doesn't have all those belts and he doesn't have uh, two Anthony Joshua victories on his, on his resume. Uh, he does have two victories against Deontay Wilder, uh, but I do think that when those fights happen, most people regarded Joshua as a little bit of a better grade of opponent than Wilder. Uh, but the point of it is, if you're fighting for undisputed in that situation and there's that much money involved, you know, it's 50-50 and stop with the nonsense and the fighting. And it doesn't seem like there's going to be a big fight about it. One more point on this, the WBC, and I know you've been in contact with Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the WBC, is extending uh, this deadline about is he going to vacate? He's not vacating the of WBC course. title. Go ahead. Go I mean, ahead. Basically what last. happened is, you know, Fury, Fury gave, you know, let's back up a, a few days before that. My friends at the Ring Magazine who, who have Tyson Fury or had Tyson Fury as the Ring Magazine champion, emblematic of the man in the division, typically of the linear champion, they, they inquired because he has said on repeated occasions he is retired. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, what's your status? He then very uh, politely and kindly and nicely with uh, reverence towards the Ring Magazine title uh, told them that he was vacating his prerogative, he vacated the title. The Ring people then decided um, that they would then allow the winner of Usyk Joshua 2, which was a few days later, to replace him because by logic, if he's given up that title and the fight is supposed to, the title is emblematic of who's the, the, the number one guy in the division, if Fury's retired and out of the picture, obviously the winner of Usyk and Joshua is going to claim number one. So that became for the vacant ring title. Uh, Usyk was the winner. He now has the title that Fury vacated, whatever. Um, and so the WBC saw that happen, heard what he said numerous times about retirement, and understandably uh, inquired with Tyson Fury uh, what his status was says take a little time to think about it and if you wouldn't mind it was this was not adversarial he doesn't have a mandatory that's due in the wbc the dillian white fight was the mandatory yep. so he's not got one of those on his um, on his mind for a while uh, but the wbc does have various elimination fights coming up that could perhaps be elevated uh, between uh, robert hellenius against deontay wilder and uh, the fight that's coming up uh, on uh, next uh, sunday the sunday of labor day weekend between andy ruiz and luis king kong ortiz so so Mauricio Suleiman from the WBC inquired with Tyson Fury and said, you know, like I said, take a little time to think about it and report back to us what your decision is by August 26th. But then there was a very sad, unfortunate death of one of Tyson Fury's cousins uh, who was stabbed to death. Very sad situation, obviously. And so the WBC is not going to, you know, get in the middle of that. There's no urgency, as you said. So I asked Mauricio what they were doing. And, and then the WBC later sent out their uh, statement on it, about it, saying they were going to extend their deadline. Uh, to uh, next Friday, which is September second, uh, I believe it is. Correct. And and which how happens to coincide basically with the 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 deadline that Fury put in his Instagram video, telling people anybody that wants to make this match between myself and Usyk come up with the half a billion, get in touch with my lawyer. You got a week to do it. So, you know, but deadlines in boxing are like. They're as fluid as the water out of your sink, you know? You went over that, especially on the BetUS show when Dan was even invoking the HBO viewer <laughs> guide of the 1980s, which I loved. And, and 90s, may I add. 80, 80s and 90s. I loved that when you brought that up. We'll see what any of these deadlines mean. I Here, here's what it means. You know say what? Let's he's not giving the title up. He's Let's put a be bow the WBC on this. Yes, please. Here's the bottom line. Most likely, you never can be certain, after some back and forth, one would have to assume and figure they're going to make the fight because there's too much at stake. 
Yes. There's too much money and there are too few issues that would stand in the way. All the promotional people and all the boxing people and the management people, everybody wants to make the fight. The fans want the fight. So, and there's a ton of money in it and there's multiples of tens of millions more in that fight for these two fighters and the promoters for that matter than any other fight that they can make on the planet earth. There you go. There's the bow. All right. The bow is put on that one with Tyson Fury and with the Usyk fight. Uh, if and when there's more info on it, we'll have it for you. Let's get to the fights that we do know happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, ESPN top rank main event. Again, full disclosure, I have seen replays. I could not see this live because of the work duties with Buccaneers radio broadcast with the Colts. I will say this. Uh, that in terms of the big baby Anderson fight, which we talked a lot about on the big fight weekend preview on this podcast feed and the over under of a round and a half, we talked about it extensively on the bet us betting preview show and the round and a half you and I both had the over, we were both going to stay in touch. I knew when I left Lucas oil stadium, which is the massive stadium where the Indianapolis Colts play football, we were actually walking back to our hotel. Literally, Daniel, be proud of me that I got some exercise. It's about a half mile walk. It's not a far walk. It wasn't extremely hot. It was easy to make the walk. I knew that fight was getting underway, but we're walking, talking. I'm in traffic. I didn't know that it had started yet. We walked, we got to the hotel. When we got into the hotel, I can see a TV on ESPN with the sound down and I see our guy, Rolf Kahnen, uh, prone on the mat. And I'm like, he's already <laughs> down and out. What happened? And then I kid you not, uh, Fight Freaks Unite recap audience, five seconds later, I have a text from Raphael on my phone. My wife is texting me, did you get back to the hotel? One of my buddies is looking for me. I got a Raphael text in the hotel in Indianapolis. We hit the over. I'm like, okay, well, what, what round? What? And you're like, right at the end of the second round. And I'm like, okay, the sound is down. You know, they don't have a graphic on the screen. I couldn't tell. You informed me that we had hit the over on uh, on Real Big Baby. All right, so we let's get to the heavyweights and let's get to all it. Let's just let's just go with that right now. So Jared Anderson gets the KO. What did you think, real quick, of the fight? Not unexpected. He knocked him out. Yeah, and I mean, look, he he was coming back off of a off of a layoff uh, due to an eight month layoff due to a hand surgery. Uh, as we discussed, disappointing for him to miss. Uh, working in the Fury training camp for the fourth time when he was preparing for the Dylan White fight. He would have been in one of the undercard fights on that big event. And, uh, you know, was disappointed. They spoke about that in the interview that we had on the podcast at the end of last week. Uh, but this was a chance to come back, test the handout, get some exposure, be back on TV, get another paycheck. And you know what? This kid, he's only 22 years old. He looked really good. I know he didn't have a big uh, a top-notch opponent in front of him, but he's now 12-0 with 12 knockouts. Scored this big, booming second-round knockout. You know, just a tremendous right hand. A chopping right hand put him out and, and I just think that when uh when uh your boy Rove Kynan was on the mat that he had second thoughts because he was he was alert and he just it didn't seem like he was he, he was just like you know what I, I'm good I'm done for the night um and he just just took the full count and and, and you know was able to get up right after that uh, thing I like about Jared Anderson a couple things one he has like he's a, a nice enough guy to talk to and deal with I've now interviewed him a few times met him a couple times but you just get the feeling there's that sense of like simmering anger inside him that he controls outside the ring. But when the bell goes, it's like the beast within comes out. Okay. And that's what you want to see in your heavyweights. He's got certainly some issues in his life. Perhaps he's working out in the ring, whatever the case may be. You hope that he can keep all that under control and just use it in the boxing ring. But that makes him a dangerous, dangerous guy. He also, for a man that big and that you know tall and that uh, muscular and that heavy, like he carries it well. And he's a very fluid fighter. This is not a 
And I'm not, I mean, it's effective. Like, take a Joe Joyce, for example, very good heavyweight contender. One look at him, you know, he's a little robotic. He doesn't have the fluidity, let's say, of some of these other big guys. Jared Anderson has fluidity with his feet, with his hands. He's got good, quick speed, and he's got uh, enormous punching power, and he's, he's coordinated. Uh, I remember, you know, when I spent a long time working at ESPN with Teddy Atlas, and he would talk about it on the Friday Night Fights broadcast, and I've talked to him about it, just when we would shoot the shit about stuff about the coordination of heavyweights and how important that is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all I could think about when I watched Jared Anderson is I can hear in my mind, Teddy talking about the coordination that, uh, that Jared Anderson has with the way that he holds his hands, the way that he turns over his punches, the way that he throws his jab. He really is got a lot of ability. I mean, not, he's not, I mean, he's a great puncher, obviously, but he's not just this brute knockout artist. This is not like Deontay Wilder, you know, was raw as a, you know, a cucumber out of the fridge, but, he could punch, man, and that right. was like calling card. But skill-wise, it was a little rough around the edges, if you know what I mean. You're, good. You're being uh, kind again. He's not okay. He's not artistic. He's not yeah. – no, he's just brutal, big-time puncher trying to set up that right hand but a lot of the time, yes. Jared Anderson, because of the way he jabs and the coordination and the ability to do what he does on the inside, I got you. on the outside. Now, listen, I say all this, have to put a caveat on it, TJ. He's doing it against a certain level of opponents. And I was coming to that time. But to you step can up see that somebody, somebody that's dangerous and tests him more. Right. Got to happen. Right. Next, so right? I can't sit here and say right now that when I see him, the fluidity and the way that he's able to move, if he gets to a certain level, you know, maybe he would draw comparisons eventually to a Riddick bow to a Larry Holmes. And, and in turn, I say that as athletic big guys that can really shoot the jab and, and, and use their feet and, and just could move really well and take a punch and obviously land a punch. So I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but when you're, when you're scouting out the future and you're trying to break down what the qualities are that this fighter has, there's reason to believe that it might be there. Now I have no idea what's inside him in his chest. As far as his heart goes, we don't know how it's going to be when he gets nailed on the chin, because inevitably when you're a heavyweight boxer, uh, whether you're fighting a lesser opponent or a top star or a contender or another champion or whatever, some point you're going to get whacked on the chin and there's going to be a moment yes. of truth. And we haven't seen that yet, but again, th- that's all time coming. But at the moment at 12 and 0 and 12 knockouts, you know, if I'm buying stock in a young heavyweight, I'm buying stock in the Jared big baby Anderson corporation, because he really looks like something special. Again, I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself, uh, but it was a great knockout and, uh, He's got a lot of talent, a lot of skills. Top rank is talking about perhaps, perhaps he'll be back in the ring, not definite, on December 10th on the undercard when Tiafimo Lopez next fights uh, on the Heisman Trophy Saturday night at the Madison he Square Garden. He fought last December on that Heisman Trophy card at Madison Correct. Square Garden for top rank, so it would make sense. So take the next step with me here. If it's not F.A. Ajagba, who scored his own knockout on this card that we'll talk about in a second, and Real Big Baby told you, Jared Anderson last week in the interview, it's not going to be him, at least not soon, because they got Oof. different things in mind. Is there another top rank heavyweight that I'm missing here on who that would be? And to say, I mean, who is the logical person they might slide in? And we got to wait and see who they're going to slide in. I mean, th- listen, the fighter wants to step up. He called that Phil Kurgovich in the interview that I had with mm-hmm. him on the podcast. <clears throat> he did it again in the ring after the fight when he did his interview but, with Bernardo Osuna from but, ESPN. Hergovic's not going to fight him. Hergovic's the mandatory challenger for the IBF championship. He has absolutely no reason financially or competition-wise. There's no reason. They're not even at the same level yet in terms of their pro experience. So it's no knock on Anderson. I get it. I, I And I'm actually, I'm impressed he would call out a guy like Hergovic because he's a little bit like 
I'm not saying he's obscure, but he's not a, you know, he's not calling out Deontay Wilder or, or Anthony Joshua, a guy with a bigger, a bigger name. Um, but he wanted to fight Hergovich, but there's like literally zero chance of that occurring because different promotional outlets too. That's oh, another, different TV, another, different promotion, yeah. different, different continents. And, and most importantly <laughs> than all that other stuff, one guy's already the mandatory challenger. Why in the world does he risk that? He just took on a really tough fight with uh, Zhang Zelay in from China and the eliminator that was on the Usyk Joshua two undercard, hard, hard, tough fight, got knocked down, got off the deck, won a razor close decision. And he's not going to mess around with Jared Anderson. And frankly, I don't think top rank would be willing to make that fight at this moment anyway. So it's, it's fun to talk about, but it's like got enough, you know, it's gotten zero chance, less than zero chance of occurring in, in, in this time frame. So uh, I give Anderson credit. He wants to step up. That's good. Um, but as I say, it's one thing for fighters to call out other names when they're in the learning curve and they're on the way up. Uh, it's up to the company. Uh, I don't, I don't mean protect them, like not give them challenges, but they know best in terms of matchmaking of the speed at which to move the guy. And there's nobody better in boxing. And I don't say this as a negative towards other companies, but when it comes to, to understanding and, and being able to uh, execute what, when the right time is to move a certain fighter in a certain way in terms of his competition level, uh, nobody excels more than top rank in their matchmaking crew of uh, Bruce Trampler and Brad Goodman. It's just as simple as that. And uh, they're not going to put Jared Anderson in a position uh, yet in a fight where they don't think he can handle what's coming back. All right. So we'll wait and see what that is. I mentioned to Jagba, he bombed out his opponent uh, as well. Uh, and so if it's not real big baby, he's under the top rank umbrella. They got to find somebody for him because that's an up and coming guy to give me a thought on a Jagba in the future real quick. Cause he was on that well, show. The, yeah. The big thing for a Jagba, he scored a second round knockout uh, for him. It was a matter of getting back on track. You know, he did suffer uh, a decision loss in his most recent fight at the end of last year on uh if my memory is correct, the undercard of uh, Wilder Fury 3, he lost a decision to the very talented uh, Cuban heavyweight contender, Frank Sanchez. They were both sort of, you know, in that same realm of, you know, between 10 and 15 pro fights, you know, and top rank and PBC were matching their fighters against each other on the undercard to make things a little bit easier. And uh, that seemed like a good match on paper. There was like basically their number one up and coming heavyweight in, uh, in uh, Frank Sanchez and top ranks guy, uh, Ajagba. Um, and, and they fought each other. It wasn't a particularly good fight, but Frank Sanchez did what Frank Sanchez does, and he outboxed Ajagba. is a forgivable kind of loss. And so this was a matter of get back on track. He went in the ring. He's a big, strong guy, scored a second-round knockout against just a, you know, a regular kind of opponent, and uh, on, on to the next. And so you know what he, what he will be in the ring with his next outing, it's hard to say. It won't be Jared Anderson. And top rank will just do what they do. They'll find him a, you know, hopefully a little bit of more of a step up and he'll just keep building himself up. I, and, uh, I just thought of a name. A bigger name. I thought of a name and he fought Tyson Fury under the top rank umbrella. He's kind of a promotional free agent. Correct me if I'm wrong. Otto Valin is floating out there for somebody. Is that a name that gets in front of jo Jogba at some point? No, no I no. don't think so. No, no, because why Otto Valin is with uh, Demetrius Salida and Salida okay. Promotions. And what does he need? He didn't need a Jogba. He's, he's got an, he's an entity unto himself. He's got a name by, by the fact that he did what he did with Tyson Fury. He's got the victory over uh, Travis Kaufman. He's associated with Showtime. So that's that's uh, whistling Dixie right there. That ain't All happening. Right. So happening. Yeah, listen, at the stage of the career of an Anderson and a, and a Jagba, talking about who's next is, is an exercise in futility because they're not fighting name guys that are next. Opponent. So then logically, and I hear some fans in the distance figuratively, ha-ha, saying this, then why don't Anderson and a Jagba fight each other then? That's an intriguing fight. Can we get back to the days where guys wanted to take on an intriguing, tough opponent to move themselves up? If they're under the same umbrella, they were on the same card the other night, why don't they fight each other? 
Listen, I would love to see that. I think that. Am I missing something? I think that the the, the top ranked brain trust believes that Anderson needs more seasoning okay. before he put in that Fine. kind of fight, which is fair. The guy's got twelve fights and he's basically yeah. knocked everybody out within like two or three rounds. But a job um, was clearly not invincible. Sanchez no, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, JJ, it's a silly conversation because it's just not how it works. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's the way it is. I don't disagree, but get him in the ring with somebody that we care about. Otherwise, you know how this works as well. We stop caring if you keep fighting garbage competition and knocking them over in the first or second round. Nobody cares. So They're at a point in their careers where they're still in those formative stages. Now, I think Ajagba is uh, already a little more advanced just based on who he's faced as a professional and his amateur background. He's also a few years older. So, you know, he's also already suffered a loss. So the, the notion that you have to be undefeated is out the window for him. They could step him up. But I mean, it's not going to be against Anderson. Anderson has a chance. And everybody has to understand this. I know you want to rush him. You want to see him fight the biggest names and the fight for the titles and all these big fights. But think about it for two seconds as a business person, whether you're the management for Anderson, Anderson himself, or his promotional company. As a young, powerful, good-looking, you know, dominating, at least the type of competition he has, American heavyweight, can, you know, prospect undefeated with that kind of punching power. This is a man who has a chance to be a massive, massive potential star in America. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if he gets to a certain level, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Nobody's gambling that against freaking Filip Hergovic, you know, or Efe Ajagba in his 13th fight. Just, I mean, I'm not trying to be patronizing or, or talk down to anybody, but I've been doing this long enough to understand how this sure. business works. And understand I know that the happening. business is what you're saying. Just understand, yes, understand the business at this stage. Yes. It's yeah, okay get to get that. excited and to and want to see that. I do also, but I, I like to say I live in the real world and in the real world, no one is risking that commodity who has the opportunity potentially to be a nine figure type of fighter in that kind of match right now where it makes no sense. It's not even a fight that would sell tickets because neither guy is that known. It would you. be an undercard fight. It's not Understood. even a pay-per-view. It's just like whatever. So, you know, I got to beat down the, the, the wackos and yours turning into one. I'm not turning into one. I just asked the question. <laughs> Stop swatting me on that. Let's move on to Richard Torres, uh, whose fight, uh, was it even a fight, was over in 43 seconds. He blitzed his 44. opponent. 44 seconds, the big 4-4, Hank Aaron, uh, Reggie Jackson, laid him out uh, a wicked 1-2, scary face-first knockout. Uh, all right, so he's 3-0. and give me, give me your thought on that. That was not a test whatsoever. Scary knockout, showed the big punch, and now we're moving on to another fight and another fight to try to you know take a couple steps up if you're Torres, right? Yeah, I mean, Richard Torres Jr. was the silver medal winner in the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo. It's his third professional fight. Uh, he was uh, the, the so uh, his opponent, Marco Antonio Canedo, was so overmatched. Uh, you know, we were discussing on Twitter uh, back and forth with the peeps about that fight. And, you know, I made the point that Canedo, you know, would get knocked out by Jake Paul. And Jake Paul's a cruiserweight and not a very experienced fighter anyway. That's how bad Canedo was. Now, you know, I respect him. He got in the ring, you know, and he took the punches. So I don't I don't disrespect him from that perspective. But within like 15, 20 seconds in the fight, he got dropped. He did get up. And then. It was one of the worst knockouts you'll see just because of the cleanliness of the punches. As Tim Bradley on ESPN uh, broadcast, as the analyst called it, a level four knockout. In other words, the worst kind of knockout that you can suffer because the punches, you know, the left hand, which was the first one of the knockout sequence, 
was right on the side of the head. And he was already unconscious, I think, when he was standing up. But the referee had no chance to get in right then. And Torres has such fast hands, he actually landed three more punches, including a, a right hand that just annihilated him. Mm-hmm. And you know he was out cold because if you're not out cold when you're falling forward, you would put your hands out to try to break your fall. There was no not there was no uh, attempt to break his fall. So he literally landed on his face. It was very scary. Uh, fortunately, he was OK. You know, the, the referee did not count, thankfully. Uh, uh, the, uh, the medical personnel at ringside was immediately in the ring and, and, uh, you know, taking him through the, the motions of trying to get him together. It took a few minutes for him to come around and get him up on the stool. He did go to the hospital eventually to get checked out. Um, but it was a scary knockout and Richard Torres, you know, listen to me, there's a happy medium. I understand a young fighter like that coming off the Olympics, you're trying to build up a commodity, you know, you get his confidence as a pro, get him the reps. Um, and you don't want to overmatch him, uh, given his stature, but there's a difference between fighting that kind of opponent and, you know, putting them in with at least uh, somebody that might be able to take a shot or throw back a little bit. You've got to. That, that was really to. a bad, that was really a bad one because this guy was, you know, he was coming off of a knockout loss. Uh, he just had a been knocked out ago. two times in his previous three fights. And, yeah, it was, it was not, that was not yeah. the finest hour of, uh, of matchmaking in my mind. Um, and Torres, look, the thing about Torres and, uh, you know, I've said this from the moment he signed with top rank, uh, you know, or turn, you know, made his, uh, intentions to go pro after the Olympics. I just, because of his size, I didn't feel like, you know, maybe he'll prove us wrong that at heavyweight, it's going to be a hard road for him. That's that he doesn't have the physical uh, stature to compete in my mind with the elite heavyweights. Now, maybe he'll prove you us believe wrong. he's more of a cruiserweight body and the heavyweight division's gotten to the point right now where if you're not a thick 220, 230 or bigger 50, exactly 50, you're going to have issues with facing the biggest, uh, baddest, stars in the division but the thing about richard torres is number one he 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 is i you know the first time i met him he said absolutely i'm not going to be a cruiserweight i want to be heavyweight that's what i dreamed about since i was a kid okay um but he whatever happens with richard torres whether he flames out or he becomes heavyweight champ of the world whatever it's going to be he's going to be a lot of fun to watch because he's got an exciting style he goes after it he lets those hands fly and uh you know wants to mix it up um and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to make for some crowd-pleasing fights. He's going to be able to develop a fan base, I believe, given that type of style uh, based on, you know, coming from Central California, comes from that sort of in the same region where Jose Ramirez is from in the Central Valley. Uh, there's a lot of great boxing fans there that will gravitate towards one of their own. Uh, you've seen what Jose Ramirez has been able to draw. And uh, Jose is a tremendous fighter, but he doesn't have the kind of personality that Richard Torres has, and he's certainly not a heavyweight with the kind of punch that Richard has uh, displayed so far. So, you know, Richard's going to gonna be fun to follow, uh, whatever the end result of his career is. And I wish him nothing but the best because when well, you can have an exciting guy like that in the heavyweight division, particularly, if, you know, showing my bias as an American, sure, you'd like to see him do well. Um, not that I have anything against anybody else from other countries doing well, but you got a, you know, an exciting American Olympic medalist uh, making his way to the top. He's the first time there's been a United States super heavyweight silver medal winner since Riddick Bowe. So it's been a long time. How about time. that? I mean, so, you got to go back. You got to go back to Ronald Reagan being the president. Had George Bush been elected yet? George uh, Bush, the senior Bush elder. I don't think so. Riddick was the, the silver medalist. That was uh, 1988. In, 1988. It was been, yeah. it's been a while, but in any event, so Torres is 23. You were mentioning Jagba is older. A Jagba is 28. Big baby is 22. So the, mm-hmm. the, the prospect future is, is here with these guys and they're young enough under the top rank umbrella. We'll see where they go from there. A few minutes left on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. You already gave us some 
on the Pedraza Come main event at 140 pounds, scored a draw. Interesting, a couple of little interesting aspects. Pedraza was losing on two of the three cards. On one of them, he could not overcome it by winning the last two rounds. But on the other one, he got the draw by winning the last two rounds. The third card, he was already winning, and he and he extended the lead. He won the last two rounds on all three cards, which is interesting on the scoring. Uh, also, there was a there was an unintentional clash of heads. What was going on with the referee? I saw this part too because the explanation apparently was he saw the clash of heads, but thought that Comey had been cut before that. That was the. Did we ever I get mean, clarification? Is that did, what what was that? Go ahead. I don't know. Apparently, there is replay that's usable in Oklahoma. I don't mm -hmm. think they used it. He called it a punch. I mean, they should have used the replay. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, it didn't affect the outcome of the fight. Thankfully. Uh, it's not like it was bad enough for they had to stop it. Uh, I'll give the shout out to Mike Basil, who's one of the great cut men in boxing, did a remarkable job of keeping that cut closed, uh, doing the work on Richard Comey's eye. Uh, Mike's one of the best in the business, has been for a long time. Um, he's worked with tons of top fighters. A lot of the top ranked cards been with Nonino Donaire for years, just worked with a ton of guys. But the, but the main thing is, if you watch the replay, the cut was caused by a headbutt. Yep. Not, not on purpose, but that's what happened. Um, he got, it got a little out of sorts and you know, was pawing at the eye the rest of that round. It was around, uh, what is it, like the sixth round or seventh round? Sixth round. And it clearly um, bothered him the rest of the fight. It was stopped, but I mean, it was no. bleeding some here and there, and it was different. It was a different fight from then on. But I thought that it was, it was, it was a problem for in that round and maybe a little bit in the next round. But after that, it was mm -hmm. totally under control. I got the feeling that it, that it might have affected him for about a round and a half. But, but once Mike got the chance to work on it the second time, he was good to go. But here's the thing. The, the start of the fight, Richard came out throwing a lot of punches, exerting a lot of energy, uh, was winning some of the, most of those early rounds. It felt like Pedraza was certainly in the fight, but, but Comey had the bigger moments. He was certainly uh, the, the heavier puncher. I thought and he hurt him a couple times. He did. He did. Briefly. Um, but the combination of the, the round and a half or so because of the eye, uh, maybe gassing out a little bit because of the energy exerted in those first uh, uh, rounds uh, through the first half of the fight. And Pedraza... Uh, you know, was ready for that, I feel like. And he definitely came on strong, had had a very big uh, ninth round. That was a, a huge round for him. I mean, the punch stats are off the charts for that round for him. And then he won the 10th round and, you know, he closed the show. And you know that Comey's team knew that because his corner was just, you know, do it for your family. I mean, when you when you pull out the do it for your children <laughs> part, there's desperation. They don't, you know, you don't do that lightly. You don't mess around like that. But they knew that it was desperate time. And they told him in no uncertain terms in the corner after round nine you go get him and you know that that was like they knew that they were in a tough spot that fight, they're losing need the last fight. need the last round Absolutely. exactly and he didn't win the last round and like you said because pedraza was awarded rounds nine and ten on all three scorecards the one scorecard he he got a round ahead but the other one it pulled him into a draw which made it a split draw because comey was already far ahead enough on the other card and uh Pedraza had taken the lead the previous round uh, on the other card. And or I take that back. The 10th round gave him the win on that card, but the 10th round gave him the draw on the other card. So split draw. And as I said, when we opened the podcast, TJ, it, it was, it's kind of weird to say that it was like the most satisfying draw you'll see because both guys fought their hearts out. Both you guys fought wrote, There wasn't a loser and that's true. And it's yeah. also metaphorically true. Neither one of them really deserved the loss. They both fought well enough. That's kind of a deserved draw there. It only goes back to something that I've said for a long time. We got to have odd number rounds in these fights so that we don't end up with a draw. There's nothing worse for me when college football games would end in a tie 
or hockey, not a big hockey guy, but hockey guy, hockey games in the NHL would end in a tie. Give me a winner. I've invested two hours or three hours. You don't invest two or three hours in boxing. It's usually an hour less a lot of times on a decision, but give me a winner. Give me a winner. Well, you Find know, an odd number of rounds. Find an odd number of rounds. Give me a winner. But you did get your uh, your time's worth because it was a good, entertaining fight. So if you spent the 45 minutes watching that main event, you know, and you couldn't really be upset with the with the draw because, like you said, it was so close. You changed one mm-hmm. round, and it wasn't like sometimes draw – I mean, uh, fights are easy to score because the rounds are definitive. Like, and I got to prop my man, Rayfield. You were smelling draw on social media. I was paying attention to you like the seventh or eighth round. You like I, you, were, you were hinting again. I could totally see that this ends up Absolutely. a draw, like 95-95 or Particularly something like Particularly as a 10-round fight and not a 12-round yeah. fight because in a 12-round fight, I'm not saying it would have necessarily been different, but – uh, the way that Comey was fading, I feel like the 12-round fight would have clearly favored Pedraza given what I'd seen for the first 10. But a 10-round fight, particularly with guys who are used to fighting at that 12-round uh, limit, who have been in multiple world title fights and know that well, uh, a 10-rounder is not that big for them to go. And so that's going to make it even more so the possibility of a draw, obviously, because you got less rounds to worry about. So when you combine 10 rounds and and the competitiveness and the, the, the evenly matched nature of these two guys, like uh, even before the fight, I said a draw was possible. I mean, I felt like picking a draw would be a cop out, honestly. You know, you want to make a pick, uh, you know, especially if we're uh, doing the betting show. Uh, but I, and I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. I mean, I felt like this fight from the moment it was made had a real legit chance if you're ever going to see a draw. Uh, and I was feeling that after about four or five rounds, like there's a possibility and that's what happened. But I'm not All disappointed. Right. CJ was a, it was a good fight. Uh, mismatches in the heavyweight fights notwithstanding you saw some good knockouts and uh, on a weekend where there was no other action really going on it is what it is give me a quick answer will they run that one back what do you hear what do you think Comey Pedraza or will they go separate ways and fight somebody else off the draw because both of them are still relevant and can go fight somebody else you know I didn't I didn't ask anybody uh, a top rank is not usually the company that does immediate rematches unless there's a real uh, strong reason to do so so I don't think I mean, it's possible, but I, I kind of tend to doubt it. Uh, I do think that they will have other business for these guys. Like I said, a lot of it's going to depend on what they wind up doing in terms of who the opponent will be for December for Jose, uh, for uh, Tiafimo Lopez, because he, he seems to me that if he's going to go forward and fight on December 10th, the most logical, and he's not getting Josh Taylor, he's not getting Jose Ramirez. You know, I'm talking about fights that are actually realistic to happen. There's really two guys that stand out for him to fight. One of them would be Pedraza coming off the draw. He's a new, you know, he's a Puerto Rican fighter going to New York mm-hmm. with draw some fans for sure. Um, and he's never fought him before. And it, you know, he's coming off this good performance against Kome. I think that's a possibility. Uh, the other one, of course, we've talked about is uh, maybe they can get the Arnold Barbosa fight done. Uh, Barbosa's, as we, as people know, been calling uh, TVMO out. They've been going back and forth. Uh, you heard, if you listened to last week's podcast, we had the interview mm-hmm. with Barbosa where he had a lot to say on that situation. I personally would prefer that fight. I think it's a spicier promotion and more interesting fight. Um, I don't think Richard Comey will be a candidate to fight Tifima Lopez in that December spot, despite the draw, because he already got Why? Yeah, in got two rounds out. in the title fight. Exactly. So, so the two logical guys would be Pedraza or Barboza. Um, and if it's not Pedraza, maybe top rank will run the Comey fight back. I mean, it was a good fight and uh, I don't see, I'd be interested to watch it again, but I think there's other things for these guys. They don't, you know, they don't necessarily need to do it right away maybe a couple fights down the road if they're still doing their thing, it's a possible type of rematch. Um, one of those kind of open-ended things where I don't think anybody was making decisions about that, that, you know, in the, in the morning or afternoon after their fight, I will say one thing about that though. 
Pedraza seemed open to it when he was asked. He's like, I want to fight for a world title, but if I got to do it and top rank wants it, I'll do it. Comey was a little bit more uh, non-committal about what he was doing. He's just like, I'm going to go back to my people in Ghana and I'm going to do what I got to do. So, but Richard's a warrior. He's never turned down top guys. So if, uh, if the company comes to him and uh, his promoter, Lou DiBella uh, comes to him and says, let's do this again. I think they would have no problem running it back. Good enough. That puts a lid on the ESPN top rank show there. And it puts a lid on this fight freaks unite recap. A reminder will be out later in the week with a preview heading to Andy Ruiz and King Kong Ortiz pay-per-view Los Angeles, more heavyweights uh, in the ring. That is a Sunday night pay-per-view from PBC and Fox will be in the preview mode. And also you talked with Clarissa Shields recently. We will have that interview on the big fight weekend preview later in the week. For now, unless you've got anything else, are we good? Are we ready to We're wrap good, up Daddy August? O. We're good? We're good? We're good. That's a wrap, brother. All right. We're good. Uh, again, thank you for finding us, however you did so. Social media link, Fight Freaks Unite Substack for Dan. Big Fight Weekend website as well. He's our content partner, our insider. Follow or subscribe on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed here. You'll get Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend if you do so. For now, we're good. We're previewing Ruiz Ortiz later in the week. That'll be out Friday on this podcast feed, among other things that'll be on that podcast. We look forward to that. For now, that is it. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on Fight Freaks Unite.